0: Welcome
1: to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Unfortunately, this is not going to be a particularly happy episode given all the goings on in South Africa. The high on which that tour began with India's victory in the first test quickly crumbled and India have actually finished the series with three odi losses well to on that and more
2: here's ayaz Mehmet. mr fantastic it's been a it's been quite astonishing to watch india crumble as you mentioned that they've crumbled uh, after winning the first test so handsomely they've lost five matches on the trot that is two test matches and three odis i mean yes we did in news when we went to new zealand in 2020 2019 2020 that season we lost the test series we lost the odi series in, uh, in Australia in 2020, uh, we won the test series. I know it was a remarkable test series, but we lost uh, the ODIs. But in on this tour of South Africa, I think the big difference has been that this is actually a a, a very weak South African team as it emerged when the tour began. Of course, it, it didn't uh, end up like that. They ended up looking extremely good and sharp and ambitious and resilient. And they, if I may put it very bluntly, they have actually hammered India. And are hammering that frankly, belies uh, the, the reputation that the Indian team has, the players that they have. Apart from Rohit Sharma, uh, who ad- admittedly has been India's best batsman over the past couple of years, this was a full-strength Indian team. Kohli in the in the test matches. Kohli, Pujara, Rahane, Kael Rahul, Bumrah, Ashwin, Shami, and then the ODIs pretty much, you know, all the, the, the regulars playing for India. And yet, to get... Wallop like this suggests that it's not only a question about you know the the players not living up to potential that is clearly evident. I think it also suggests that there's been some kind of you know issue which has been dogging the team. Virat Kohli stepping down from the test captaincy while on tour uh, it couldn't have sent very good messages to the dressing room. The dressing room dynamics change when such a situation happens. So I think all of this to me suggests that Indian cricket is actually going through a a phase of great turmoil. Uh, You know, the way in which the whole captaincy issue has been handled. White ball, uh, as we know, Virat retired or resigned from the T20. The ODI captaincy was taken away from him. Now, he's given up the test captaincy. Right now, we don't have a test captain in place. Of course, we don't have a series coming up. So, there's some respite for the selectors. But, when you have a dressing room which is faced with, with these kind of circumstances... It does affect performance. I'm not making any excuse. In fact, to the contrary, this could have been a situation where the players put their hands up and come up with spectacular performances. When, as they say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But that didn't happen uh, where India is concerned. So we've had the odd, really good performances. We've had Rahul making 100 in the test series opening test. Virat Pant making 100 in the in the next test. In the last test. So, so we had Virat Kohli, you know, I thought he played a sublime knock in the third test match in the first innings. Not so. uh, He looked all at sea in the second when I think he realized that the team was being throttled by the South African bowlers. And maybe at that point in time, he had already decided that he's going to quit the captaincy. Which I think, uh, I mentioned this, I think... I think irrespective of the result, he would have quit the test captaincy because there's just been too much happening between him and the BCCI. Let's make no bones about it. And if anybody needed any proof about it, you have to just read the Instagram post put up by his wife, uh, you know, Anushka Sharma, uh, after he had quit the test captaincy where she says explicitly that despite everything that has been going on around you uh, in your life, you've been able to you know, dedicate your services to the team, etc. Words to that effect. And then, of course, he went and spoke in the mic, which I thought was from the sublime to the ridiculous. But what I'm trying to say is that you had Pant making a century, Rahul making a century, terrific bowling by Bumrah and Shami in the test matches. And, of course, Shardul Thakur. you had Shikhar Dhawan coming strongly back into the ODI team, making runs. Virat Kohli making two half-centuries. Bumrah bowling extremely well. Now, all these are plus points. But there has been nobody, not a single player, making match-winning impact. There's not been a player in the test series barring the first one, where you could say that this guy is going to win the match for me. So, look at the fast bowlers. India's fast bowlers did extremely well, but not in the second innings. The second and third test, saw South Africa won by margins of seven wickets each, which is huge in test cricket. And if you look at the ODIs, I mean, you know, today, 300 is a par score for most teams. South Africa never went beyond 300 and yet won all three matches. The, the third match was the closest. India losing by four runs. And that's where Deepak Chahar actually made a half-century and brought you so close. It's not Virat uh, or uh, Shikhar Dhawan who... Actually, in the old days, a Virat run chase would have been on here and he would have probably won the match for you. So, I'm saying that there is a lot that is happening within the within the you know Indian cricket environment today. Uh, firmament. And these are things that will have to be really examined very thoroughly. I think the whole performance of, of the entire tour has to be put under harsh scrutiny and some harsh decisions have to be taken.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we've all, uh, we'll all agree today that the whole series was a disaster. Okay, Let's leave that at that. But what about Virat Kohli's own legacy? The whole talking into the mic thing, uh, being the captain of India, I don't think that's a very big high to leave the team had, you know, I think that was a really bad example to set.
2: Yeah, certainly not. I think you will be regretting doing that. I mean, I can understand you are under pressure. You are taught. You are tense. You know that the series, if you win, you you have achieved a historic feat because no no Indian team has won a series in South Africa. But you know, you you to, to to do something like this when under pressure, it suggests that you know you are you you had less confidence in in the team's ability because ultimately. You know, Hawkeye or technology, you have gained from it in, in many times in the past also. So even if the decision was, well, let's put it this way, le- dubious, but you still have to live with it because that's the best best way to reach your decision by by the use of technology. I, I think that in his career, Virat has been at times, and I say this with with due deliberation, at times he's just kind of, uh, sometimes blown a fuse, blown off the handle, or done something like this. Overall, however, he's had a magnificent run and I feel that you know he, he could have ended this on a high even if he was not winning with a little more grace. I mean imagine to be remembered that in your last test you went and uh, you know kind of mocked at the other team or at the umpiring uh, in in a, in a mic it doesn't hold it doesn't hold a good example for for the future for posterity because this is not something that will be forgotten. Absolutely. So,
1: big question now, where does the team go from here? We've had a string of bad results. We seem to have an on-paper white ball captain who's recovering. I mean, he was appointed captain and hasn't really led the team since that point. We had a standing captain who wasn't up to the mark or didn't have a team that was really keen to win. So, what next? How does this team recoup? And especially when you have someone as legendary as Rahul Dravid uh, sitting in the dressing room to guide you.
2: Well, I think these are challenging times, even for Rahul Robert. I mean, Rahul Robert must have realised very early that you there is no halo you wear around your head when you are in charge of Indian cricket, even as a coach, as a captain or a coach. The halo can fizzle fizzle out very early. I thought his press conference after the series, the one day series was lost, was very thoughtful, but also held out a very stern warning. He talked about mistakes being made, not learning, wrong shot selection. And, uh, you know, it. in a way, he said that it has actually put… A span in the works of their thought processes, so they have to. They have a lot of thinking to do, including the selectors and the captain. Uh, you know, Rohit Sharma and uh, Rahul Dravid will have to sit with the selectors and come up with certain ideas and processes that will give them opportunity to experiment, as well as ensure that the team does not lose winning momentum so badly that even if you get the best players there, you can't win. Because let's face it, winning in sport. Is a continuum. You know, it, there must be some momentum. It's a habit, and you can get into a bad habit of losing, and even lose with the best players. So I think this is a challenge that Rahul Ravid is confronted with, rightly, uh, right, right away, as well as Rohit Sharma. In fact, I think in such situations, is the captain who comes under greater pressure. So there's more need for Rohit Sharma to, uh, you know, hopefully he'll recover from his, or he has recovered from his injury. And will be in charge soon because right now you have a team or teams in every format where actually nobody is in charge. Everybody is, somebody is a standby, somebody is, you know, there but not sure whether he's there or not. So, it's a, it's a unhappy, very unhappy situation that the team and the players find themselves in. Well, that's about all we can do right now as fans is wait and hope that
1: this thing comes together. And this was just a minor uh, blip for a team that finished 2021 with a big win. Uh, capping, what I think it has to be said that we capped a two-year run where we won everything in sight and then we yet to win in the new calendar year. But let's hope that this is just a minor phase. Uh, going back to South Africa, I know we've said time and again that they're a weak team, but they held their own. I think they were smart enough in being able to use the Indian team's turmoil to their advantage. Uh, and they've got two captains. They've got Temba Babuma for the ODIs and they've got Dean Elgar for the Tests. What do you make of these two as long-term leaders for uh, South Africa that I think the cricketing world is rooting for to be stronger again?
2: I think this has been a marvellous series for South Africa. Both the Tests as well as the ODIs. And in, in, in Dean Elgar and Temba Babuma, they've got two absolutely fantastic captains. I thought they are very different. They have contrasting styles. But, uh, you know, they are both thoughtful. And I think they are both inspiring. They are leaders. Uh, so, I, I think that South Africa currently, while they lack experience, they are in very good hands. Dean Elgar, by example, the way he led the team, the way he handled his bowling in a test matches, the way that knock he played, he missed a century. But he won the match, the second match, and knock, which gave them the self-belief and the hope to win the next one. And, uh, you know, Timba Bahuma, I thought, uh, he's had his share of ups and downs. He's got a very good record in white ball cricket. But during the World T20, remember he was struggling. Even then, they had a bit of a controversy. You know, some players of the team not willing to take the Black Lives Matter uh, knee and stuff like that. But he's kept his cool. What I like about both these guys is they've got fantastic temperament. They're not jumping around. They're not excitable. They size up the situation well and then make their moves accordingly. I thought Bavuma's field placing uh, in the ODI was fantastic. And the way he changed his bowlers around, he also took a lot of catches himself. He was in the thick of it and always running to the bowler and saying, do this, do that. So, he's a guy who is in very good self-control, control of himself. And I think somebody who trusts his players to do as they are told. And that's a very big factor. Now, look, each captain has his own way of leading a team. So, I'm not saying this is the only way. But I think what South Africa has benefited benefited from, apart from finding players like uh, Rassi van der Dussen, who was a marvel uh, in the odis uh, de decock who shocked everybody and I, I regret that he quit test cricket because he's such a fantastic player but in odis he was marvelous uh, they've got also you know guys like Marcus hansen who didn't play in the odis there was no Uh, Rabada, there was no not gay, not gay. And despite all of that, they've come come up trumps against actually a very strong team. Let's not forget that. I keep driving that, uh, you know, saying that again and again. But when you have to beat a strong team, it means you have to play way beyond your capacity or what is imagined as your capacity. And to do it over a sustained period of time shows the contribution of these two captains. Well, absolutely.
1: And... Quick word about England, who find themselves now in the Caribbean and have finally won something after I think a very long time. They barely won a T20I last night. Who they almost failed to defend thirty in the last over. <laughs> uh, that's that's the West Indies cricket for you as well. Who in the T20 format especially seem to find stars whenever they want. It's crazy how often they
2: seem to be doing that. But yeah, and, and remember this came on the in, on the back of a defeat. Uh, that they suffered against Ireland, you know. So West Indies cricket is going through a roller coaster ride. So, but T20, in any case, is a bit of a lottery at the best of times. But even so, uh, you know, to both this is a mad ride what they're having. I mean, this match itself, 170 uh, is what they finished on. They needed to get 172 to win. They lost by one run. 30 runs or something needed in the last over. They got 28. So uh, it just shows that West Indies have got the kind of firepower. Which is important and necessary to win in T Twenty, uh, but whether they can do it consistently now is is becoming an issue. I think that uh, it's it's a very it's a very mercurial and very volatile team. You know, it's it's like potassium on water. One day they are just fizzing brilliantly, when we, we don't know what the hell is going to happen. Uh, I think they are missing somebody of, of the uh, of the caliber of a Dwayne Bravo. You know, I think in the bowling, that's where. Uh, Maybe the experience, the, the canniness of a Dwayne Bravo, because he's just he's just finished playing, so you have to give the other players some time. I think Jason Holder is doing well for them. He's come back strongly as a bowler. They've got Akil Hussein, who was who was the guy who uh, brought West Indies so close to winning the second match. He's bowling. He opens the bowling for them. He's a left arm spinner, and also he's shown the ability to hit, you know, the ball long and high and wide. But this was amongst must be amongst the. Four or five greatest ODI uh, T20 games, I can tell you that. Trying to score 30 runs in the last over. I mean, the only other thing which comes to mind immediately is the West Indies doing it against England in the 2016 T20 World Cup final at the Eden Gardens. You know, when Carlos Bredsweiss hit Ben Stokes for four sixes.
1: Well, only the West Indies could get themselves into these situations and are almost out of it. It's Everything is a little bizarre out there right now. But… Talking of some other sports, a so quick look at what's happening down under in Australia. After the whole Novak's drama, we finally had a week of some really, really amazing tennis. And it's unique, very honestly, to see what a Grand Slam looks like with only one of the big three there. You know, Only Rafa Nadal holding fort and, mind you, he's seated sixth below a lot of others who have already fallen by the wayside for what it's worth. The most likely winner according to most punters, seems to be Daniel Medvedev, the current U.S. Open champion. But there's some very interesting players moving up the rank, especially in the men's draw, with Gael Monfield having a second wind almost as it were, in his career, and he's playing like a dream. Uh, but he's up against uh, Matteo Berrettini in his quarterfinal up next, and that should be a very interesting match of absolute power against complete guile and art, and that's going to be a fascinating game. We've got two left-handers going at each other with Shapovalov taking on Nadal, and we've got a very young Felix Sorge Aliassim taking on, who well, the king-in-waiting almost now, Daniel Medvedev. So, the Australian Open staying true to its form and throwing up some really interesting results. On the women's side, though, Ayaz, is where we've seen a lot of turmoil with big players like Naomi Osaka falling away already. And the quarterfinals draw really has a few top seeds, but it's mainly Ash Party and now it's really her title to lose. Although there are some very deserving challengers, none more so uh, than Sabalenka, the second seed, who seems to have found some really
2: good form early on. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the, uh, the uh, you know, the one thing which you said and it, it kind of caught my attention is that it's a very it's unusual uh, in Aussie Open. Uh, not because... Uh, of the COVID factor and the and the fact of uh, you know the controversy with uh, with Novak, but only one of the big four or big three certainly uh, is there in this. And That's uh, Rafael Nadal. And my feeling is that if if he doesn't win and there's a new and Medvedev doesn't win, if there's a new champion, it just opens up a new vista for these young and upcoming players who had found their passage into the last four. Or you know, reaching the Grand Slam finals, choked for so many years for almost two decades, and you suddenly find that there is a there is a route available now. And, you know, you win a Grand Slam once; it just opens up a whole new world uh, to you and a world of self belief also. Uh, where the women's section is concerned, I think it has been volatile for some time, hasn't it? Uh, after the Williams sisters' stranglehold ended, uh, you've been finding uh, you know different people winning at different uh, different events. So in a way that's very good. Uh, sometimes it throws followers into some turmoil, but that's that's the beauty of sport, you know. I mean, if you can get uh, different champions, different at different uh, tournaments, and especially in the Grand Slams, to me it also suggests that you might not get a legendary figure because the legendary figures would be far more consistent. But what you would get is very exciting tournaments, very exciting tennis to watch, lots of ups and downs, which also give uh, make for its own value as a, as a sporting spectacle? Well, this week we'll throw up more surprises if you ask me and I am rooting for
1: someone like Matteo Beretini throughout the last year I've always said we need more Grand Slam champions because usually that's proven to be the first step towards them forming a new clique of the big whatever we want to call them but I think that's become very very important for the sport uh, especially in the final years of Nadal, Djokovic and Federer uh, where the sport really needs some big stars. Uh, for fans to stay invested. Well, we'll come back to you next week with champion news from Town Under. And speaking of champions, there's a lot of movement happening in the Premier League over in England. Manchester City have finally dropped points after 13 consecutive wins. They were held to a draw. That and everything else from the Premier League, Your are summoned.
0: Hi, folks. I hope you're doing well. This last week was a big one in the world of the Premier League because we had quite a few big fixtures and some big teams dropped a fair amount of points. And that's going to be the major talking point along with the January transfer window as that comes to a close as well. So let's start with the biggest ticket one. Let's start with a fixture that can be called the all-star one. It was Chelsea versus Tottenham, the London derby, the one with a lot of animosity between both the fans and well, it didn't quite feel like a derby. It, it it felt like an absolute whooping of Tottenham Hotspur, to be very honest with you. Because Chelsea were dominant, always in control, always in control of the ball, always in control of the, uh, of the tempo of the play as well. And those two goals that they had, one from Hakim Ziyech and one from Thiago Silva, well, it should have been more. Maybe Chelsea should have had four in that case. Because Tottenham looked absolutely toothless in comparison to what Chelsea had to offer. And that is why Chelsea now have finally got a win after so many games. And uh, we must be a little bit cautious towards them because they've actually played the most games since November in comparison to any other team. So there's a great chance that they are largely fatigued, and it was showing in the last few games. But finally, with this win, they are back up to P number three. Still quite a few points behind Liverpool and Man City who both have uh, a game apiece ahead of Chelsea. So that's another... Major factor to consider. But yeah, they're clearly out of the title race. But still, this was a good win to get some momentum going. But for Tottenham Hotspur, things are not flowing as well. And there are already rumours circulating that Antonio Conte might be sacked. And he's just come in earlier on this year. Wow. Things have really gone downhill for Tottenham ever since they've got their new stadium. There seems to be turmoil everywhere. Well, turmoil is something that's also evident Uh, in the other part of North London because Arsenal had a draw against Burnley a very entertaining encounter mind you but Arsenal once again toiling hard but struggling to finally get that big result and it's this whole cycle of hope with Arsenal that's actually turning out to be rather excruciating for their fans because a couple of good results are always followed by one bad one so that's that's turning out to be a very tricky affair for them But otherwise, we saw Man United beat West Ham in a thriller. Probably the closest encounter of the week. But it wasn't. Because Tottenham had a match against Leicester City where they were losing 2-1 in the 90th minute. But they actually ended up winning the match 3-2. Thanks to two stoppage time goals by Stephen Bergwijn. So, we've had some tremendously close fixtures. And the United-West Ham one, along with the Tottenham-Leicester one, added two great matches for this whole week where otherwise Southampton and Man City also put up a really good show. But City, once again, struggling against Southampton, struggling to get points against them. They just had a 1-1 draw. Even though they dominated the match, Southampton were ironclad, basically. Just like they were earlier on the season against Man City. So, that's points dropped for them. And this just gives you a good idea about how stressful of a game week this must have been for all the fans to watch, considering the amount of big fixtures and the dramatic uh, finishes that we saw in the games as well. What a week in the Premier League and City still retain their control at the top, even though they've finally got that one big draw against Southampton. Liverpool are a match behind and if they win that fixture, uh, they'll essentially climb up to 51 points. That's six behind Man City. And Chelsea, as I mentioned, uh, they've got two games extra to Liverpool. One game extra to Man City and they're at 47 points, 10 behind City. So, Things don't quite look the best for them. United are up back in P4, West Ham, West Ham I'm sorry, are in 5th, Arsenal in 6th, Tottenham in 7th and Wolves in 8th. As for the transfers, there's rumours that Jesse Lingard could be leaving Manchester United. There's rumours that Dele Alli could be leaving Tottenham Hotspur as well. Ah, interesting stuff is coming up right here. And maybe in the last week, we can see some really big transfer stories happening in this general transfer window. But that's all for the football this week. There's some tremendously big fixtures coming up next week here as well. And I'll be glad to report all of them and more on Sports Weekly.
1: Thank you so much, Samil. And we'll keep an eye there if Liverpool can really indeed catch up with Manchester City and have a real shot at the title. But... For that and for more from around the world, we'll be back next week. Keep listening to
2: Sports Weekly with Ayaz Mehman. Thank you so much, Ayaz. Thanks, Mr. Fantastic. As always, a pleasure and we'll catch up next week.